The title of this morning's message, as you see in your bulletin, I'm not big on titles, but I always highlight them when I'm proud of them. I'm not particularly proud of this one, uh, but uh, this title says the beginning of the end, referring to the passage that's before us this morning. But in regards to our study of Mark, this is really the end. Uh, this is it. And uh, for those of you who are visiting this morning, we have been for over a year now uh, walking through the book of Mark, walking through the gospel of Mark. 39 sermons. This is our 40th sermon in the gospel of Mark as we have worked through the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And I hope and pray that through it all, that you, that I have clearly seen Jesus, that we have seen ourselves, that we have considered his call on our lives. Because we were at the end of the book, uh, on Resurrection Sunday a few weeks ago, uh, we skipped ahead, and now we are coming back to that chapter that we skipped, chapter 13, uh, this passage that is known as the Olivet Discourse. It's a passage that both Matthew and Luke include as they walk through the life of Jesus as well. Yet for Mark, this is the only extended speech of Jesus that Mark gives us, the only one. And I think we can take from that that this is indeed an important and significant piece for Mark. It's a bridge of sorts, um, a bridge to Jesus's final week on earth, the Passion Week, and uh, therefore it serves also as kind of a farewell address uh, for Jesus to his disciples. It is a lengthy passage, as you can see, and I debated whether to chop it up or whether just to try to take one big giant bite, and we're going to go for it. Uh, so uh, buckle up, uh, hold on, and uh, if you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. Uh, listen as I read Mark chapter 13, verses 1 through 37. This is God's holy word. And as he, that is Jesus, came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones, what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to them, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things be? What will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus said to them, see that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues. You will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations." And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. 
and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. Then alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that, it may hap- pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom He chose, He shortened the days And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there He is, do not believe. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. But in those days, after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory, and then He will send out the angels and gather His elect from the four winds from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven." From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things take place, you know that it is near, that He is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for in hev- be- keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening, or you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. We have an unspoken but strictly enforced no-talking policy when we watch movies together at the Hitchcock home. Just for future reference, you ever watch a movie at our house? It's hard sometimes, particularly for some members of the family who will go unnamed. Is she going to die? Will they get back together? I'm going to stop watching this if it doesn't end well. Please tell me. What is behind this tendency is really a reality for all of us. Not knowing can be uncomfortable. Anticipation can be painful. Anticipation of the unknown, anticipation in the dark. 
In the church of Jesus Christ, over these many years since Christ ascended into heaven, we have certainly shown that this is true in regard to Jesus' return. We believe in this room all those who know and love the Lord Jesus and claim Him as your own. We believe that Jesus has left this earth, that He is at the right hand of the Father right this moment, and He is preparing a place for us, but He promised that He would return. John 14, 3, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am you may be also. It's one of the greatest promises that our hearts hold on to. But when? When, Jesus? And so we search the Scriptures for signs, some going so far in the church to actually predict the year, to lay out the timeline, only to be forced to revise that timeline later. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not here to bash other Christians. These are well-meaning lovers of Jesus who rightfully want to be faithful to God's Word, but my point is that we unnecessarily can get fixated on these things, and that sometimes, as a result, in the church, we can misinterpret the Scriptures in our fervor, Neither of which, I will argue, or I'd like to just state, is helpful for our witness to a watching world. This, Mark 13, this passage that I have have been uh, thinking about for weeks now and and come to this morning with some sense of, of trembling, is one such passage This is not a passage meant to kindle curiosity. It's a passage meant to encourage faith and obedience in a world that was about to be turned upside down. Now just to warn you, I'm going to argue for the next few minutes, I'm going to argue that we understand this passage maybe a bit differently than you have understood it or than you have read it prior to this morning. And just so you know that this is, Nate, just not completely out in left field or in foul territory, in my interpretations of Jesus' words here, there's, I told you already this is a difficult passage. There's lots of disagreement about what this passage means. But some do agree with me. I'm not completely off base. I will say also that I don't have the ability to answer every question. This is a difficult passage. It's a hard passage. We're not going to have time to dig into every bit of this passage. And so perhaps you'll want to circle back with me in conversation. Perhaps you want to circle back with me and ask for, for more reading on it, which is great. Search the Scriptures. Keep the Scriptures in front of you that you might test and determine whether these things are true. This morning, as we think about Mark chapter 13 and Jesus' word here, this Olivet Discourse, I want to consider two realities, two encouragements from the Scripture. And the first one is this. God's word is true. Maybe in parentheses with that point, put God rules over history. 
because I want to make both points in the same mouthful. God, God's Word is true, and God rules over history. History, time, and space. Boy, do we need this simple assurance. In a world of, of fake news, of, of false internet claims, when it's hard to determine what is right and what is wrong, what is true, what is false, we are reminded this morning that what God says will happen, that Jesus' claims can be trusted, that as verse 31 says here in Mark 13, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And those words are not some ethereal pie-in-the-sky fluff that mean nothing for us, flesh and bone. No, they intersect with real history, with real time and space, with dates, with kings. But let me explain. Jesus and his disciples, they've been in the temple. They've been engaging the scribes, the teachers of the day. Jesus has been teaching. As they come out of the temple, Jesus and his followers, the, the, the disciples are in awe of their surroundings, and that's what begins this whole discussion. Now, this is not Solomon's temple from the Old Testament. This is the temple that Herod built. Solomon's temple was destroyed back in 586 B.C. This is Herod's, and it was an architectural achievement. It was a beautiful white mountain of marble gilded with gold. Historians tell us that some of the stones in this temple were 45 feet long, 11 feet high, and 12 feet deep. This is before the days of cranes and forklifts. This is a massive, beautiful achievement. And it was more than a building. The temple was not just one building. It was a complex. The temple mount encompassed one-third of the city. A million and a half square feet. That's just under 35 acres. And so the disciples come out and they're just, man, they're soaking this all in. What does Jesus say? Oh, you see all this? It's coming down. It's going to be flattened. Well, this is like telling someone that the Titanic is going to sink on its maiden voyage. No. What? Huh? I'm sure the disciples were tempted to blow Jesus' words off, but probably had learned long ago to take Jesus at his word. And so I suspect they're reeling inside. They're anxious to sit down with Jesus to get the whole story, which is exactly what happens as they sit opposite of the temple on the Mount of Olives. And in verse 4, they say, tell us, when will these things be? What will be the sign of all these things are about to be accomplished? You see, the disciples, they want a timeline. They want signs. And this long, detailed answer is exactly what Jesus gives. It's an answer that communicates this. Trouble is coming. Distressing times are on the way. So get ready. Your world is about to be turned upside down. Now here's the thing. While this is, of course, 
profitable for us, and we can learn lessons from Jesus' instruction. This answer primarily, all the way through to verse 31, is for them. It's for them. It's for the next 40-some years of their lives. And I say this, and I argue this, is because this is what makes most sense contextually. After all, he's telling them, these guys sitting here, not only to wait for it, but to look for it, to be ready for it, to respond to it. And near the end of his answer, in verse 30, he says plainly, this generation will not pass away until all of these things take place. In other words, everything that I just told you, you and your peers are going to see. To understand that phrase in any other way than its plain meaning requires some linguistic gymnastics. And so what am I saying? I'm saying that the majority of this is not hints and indicators for us concerning the end of all things. And therefore, the application for us is not look for these things. It's rejoice. These things have happened. God's Word is true. God rules over history. And so let's pick it apart a bit and and answer exactly what Jesus says they're going to, to see. Says what they saw. Four things. First of all, he says you're going to see pretenders. Verses 5 and 6, verses 21 and 22. You're going to see pretenders. Messianic shams will come after Jesus, claiming to be the liberator that many hoped that Jesus would be. And these men will come and they will pull on the heartstrings of that misunderstood messianic longing that so many of the Jewish people had, and they will gain a following. So Jesus says, be on guard. And guess what? It happened. History records many such false Christs. Acts 5.37 even recounts one named Thutis who gained a following of 400 men for a temporary time. And so Jesus warns his brothers, don't be fooled. They aren't associated with me. Stay the course. So pretenders are coming. Two, wars, famines, and earthquakes. Verses 7 and 8. Let's talk about each of those wars. Many of you who know ancient history, who know biblical history, know that the period surrounding Jesus is known as the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. It's this period of of relative peace in the empire that gave stability to Jesus' ministry, that gave advance to the early church. But when the Emperor Nero comes on the scene, everything changes. And in 67 through 70, the Jewish war begins with the Imperial Roman army, followed by a civil war within the Roman army. History tells us that nation rose up against nation, and it will all come to a head in 70 A.D. Wars. Rumors of wars. Famine. 
In 44 AD, Judea was hit with a famine, followed by Greece in 50 AD, then Rome in 52 AD. Earthquakes in 46 AD, the island of Crete suffered a significant earthquake. In 51, it was Rome's turn. In 53, then again in 60, Phrygia, and then in 63, Campania. Wars, famines, earthquakes. Jesus' words came true in the lives of these men. Number three, persecution, verses 9 through 12. It will begin in the book of Acts. We, we studied the book of Acts. We, we saw it, and it will continue from there. These men will be dragged before leaders. They'll be imprisoned. They'll be beat. They'll be killed as a result of their active proclamation of the gospel. Jesus warns them that all this is coming. But don't forget that I am with you. My spirit will give you words to say as you stand before those authorities. And then finally, the abomination of desolation followed by a tribulation. This is the sign of all signs, Jesus says. It all comes to a head at this point. Jesus says, when you see this, get out of town. Flee to the mountains. And so what is it? Well, remember, these are Jewish men, these men knew their Old Testament. They knew their Old Testament. I'm going to go out on a limb and say better than you know your Old Testament. And so as Jesus says these words, this is Old Testament language that he's using out of the book of Daniel. Daniel 9, 27, and on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate. And then again in Daniel eleven thirty one, forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offering. Daniel predicted it, and it first happened 500 years earlier in history in 168 B.C., When Syrian forces came in and overtook the Jews and Antiochus uh, Epiphanes IV halted burnt sacrifices in the temple and offered a pig in the most holy place. And now Jesus is saying another such profanity is coming and it's going to trigger a tribulation, a period of suffering that's unparalleled. That's incomparable. And history tells us that this is true. That in 70 AD, led by Titus, Roman forces came and they took Jerusalem and they slaughtered 1.1 million Jews. And the Jewish historian Josephus says, indeed, it was like nothing he had ever seen. And after subduing the Jewish rebels, they sacrificed pagan gods among the the ruins. You see, the era of the temple was over. It was replaced by the work of Jesus. Judgment is falling upon Israel. Just as Jesus had spoken, remember, at the beginning of the week, he had spoken against the fig tree, that picture of God's people, that picture of Israel, And the fig tree is brought up again here as a sign of what is to come. And Jesus says, if you know me, if you love me, if you trust me, get out of town before all this happens. 
You see, God's word is true. God rules over history. In Mark chapter 13, these beginning verses, is, is the declaration that that is so. And, and yet, I, I, can hear, I can hear you now. What about this? What about this? Well, let's, let's look at a couple of those. What about this? Verse 10. Verse 10 of Mark chapter 13. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. This is one of those verses that has been used to motivate missions. It's kind of that box that we have to check before the Lord returns, and it's a great motivator for missions, and I don't want to discourage uh, the need to go to all the nations, the need for all nations and all languages to have God's Word. But listen to the language of Colossians 1, verses 5 and 6. Paul says, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing. See, the way the New Testament uses all nations and the whole world is the whole known world at that time. And so we're not talking about some global evangelization that needs to happen before the coming of Christ. Well, how about verses 24 through 27? Those are difficult verses. In those days after the tribulation, the sun will be dark and the moon will not give its light. The stars will be falling from heaven and so on. Friends, this is cosmic judgment language used to describe earthly chaos. We do this sometimes even in our day, even in our political arenas. He won in a landslide. That decision sent shock waves through the nation. Listen to Isaiah 13.10, speaking of judgment on Babylon, for the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light the sun will dark at its rising, and the moon will not shed its light. And then speaking of the judgment of ancient Egypt in Ezekiel 32, he says, when I blot you out, I will cover the sun with a cloud, and the moon shall not give its light. You see, this cosmic language of the sun being darkened, even the clouds itself, clouds are a picture of divine presence. And so the imagery of verse 26 of Jesus coming on the cloud is describing the culmination of his victory over death, his resurrection, and his ascension. Daniel spoke of this and wrote about it in Daniel 7. He says, behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. And Mark will speak of it himself as he records Jesus' words. As Jesus stands before the high priest in just the next chapter in Mark 14, 61, he says, Are you the Christ? The Son of the Blessed, he asked Jesus, and Jesus says, I am, and you will see the Son of Man at the right hand of power coming with the clouds of heaven. 
Friends, God's word is true. He rules over history. And God's word, I know that was a, I know that was a ride taking you through that. But it proclaims to us again that Jesus can be trusted. And not only that, not only does God rule over history, but indeed, he is coming again. He is coming again. And that's the second truth that I want us to consider out of this as we finish this morning. And simply this, stay awake Stay awake by looking at Jesus. A few weeks ago in a, in a black hole moment that I know some of you have had, I had been led to a, uh, I don't know how I got there, who knows how you get there, you know, they put those YouTube videos. And I had been led to a high school track video of one of the greatest high school relay companies ever. So we're watching all of this play out, and they were commenting.